what exactly in your life has ever worked out precisely how you planned it? That's one of the questions I want to explore on this seven mile journey, which I keep thinking about conceivably as a seven day journey, a journey that we literally go on daily, weekly, a cycle that keeps repeating over and over again. Today, I am returning to the familiar storyline that's really provided the scaffolding for my life in every way now for the last few years. So hopefully from a familiar story, maybe there'll be some unfamiliar sounds here. This is from a sermon I preached this past Sunday at Gobin United Methodist Church. I apologize. The audio gets a little wonky and I don't know why it starts off a little wonky. If you'll hang in for about 30 seconds or so, it gets better. Thought about just trying to do this, just me and a microphone, but you know, it goes, there's something about the magic of just being together in community in a room uh, that's different. So I feel like it probably needed to be preserved this way, but I uh, hope that you'll track with me so much for us to catch up on. I got to see Bono last week at the Beacon Theater in New York. It was unbelievable. A life-changing experience in and of itself. Hey, right now we're still, uh, as I'm recording this, in the first round of the NBA playoffs. So it's like four games on tonight. Exciting time to be alive. So much to talk about. But for right now, I wanted to make sure I got this out pretty quickly. I know it's quite the run of solo episodes, but this is some stuff that's not only near and dear to my heart, but the stuff that's feeling fresh for me. I hope it'll feel fresh for you, as always. If you're able to like, subscribe, share this in any form, it's so helpful. Certainly for those of you who are able to give on Patreon, thank you so much for those of you that continue to make this possible. Uh, know that if there's a tug on your heart in any way to want to be involved in that way, it's deeply appreciated. But whoever you are, however you got here, I hope this will help you find yourself on the journey that you're on, on the walk that you're on. Thanks for joining me and welcome back to the Zycast. Not only because it's a YouTube song, but um, song spirit. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, uh, Brian asked me to speak. I didn't have a book in the last year, probably in the last year, all the way. If you're familiar with Oprah's book club, or you've never read Oprah's book club, this book is not an Oprah's book club. I just wanted to break that up in the same sentence. It's not an insulation about Oprah's. Uh, you might also be familiar with the New York Times. The New York Times does all this. This book is also not from the New York Times. But so this has, has not happened. Uh, we have some great reviews on Amazon. I think there are 33 of them. So, bit of a niche, this book, I think. Um, but it is one, it is one that... Um, Yes, the book came out in June, and I guess the last few years, I feel like I've been reading so much of the world and my own life, and a lot of people around me through this version story. And I really did, especially having talked a lot about this passage 
of reading the text again several times this week and trying to be open to the surprise of it. That's kind of my philosophy of reading scripture in general is that you need to always be open to the surprise and, and hoping that will happen. And actually late last night, I, I saw something here that for all this time I've spent just soaking into this text that I've really never thought about. And it was this, just this simple little detail. That when it says these two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that it specifically says that it's about a seven-mile road. A seven-mile road. And that just, something just landed in me about that. Because, of course, you know, maybe this number is incidental, but from any way that I read Scripture, I cannot imagine that there is a seven in the entire story of Scripture that is not strategic. It's always strategic. God creates the earth in seven days. We start with that seven-day rhythm. Seven becomes known in general, starting with Genesis, as the number of completion, as the number of fullness. Um, if you read Revelation at all, if you've dared to do that, you know that all, there's seven everything. There's seven letters written to seven churches, seven lampstands, uh, seven bowls. Uh, I mean, it just goes on. This, you know, seven of everything. Everything happens in, in multiples of seven. Seven is always, is always strategic. It always means something. And so it hit me differently that these disciples are walking from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus on a seven-mile seven journey. When I wrote the book, much of what I had in mind in terms of my own experience and the experience of people that I love is people who have gone through deep disillusionment, uh, the kind of disillusionment that we read in this text. Um, we had hoped, the disciples said, that he was the one to redeem Israel. And I feel like there's so much tragedy in that. Ha we had hoped. We once had this hope that now we do not have. I mean, there's so much heartbreak in this text. And so the book is largely grappling with this disillusionment, almost with a capital D, that so many people are experiencing right now when it comes to church, religion, and institution, where they fit into that story, if at all, which is the story of so many people that I know uh, is the narrative that's so big. And I, I'm still feeling that. And yet there's something about the fact that, that this is a seven-mile journey. So it's a journey that is long enough, but it's not that long. Seven miles, seven mile walk. One of the things I continue to find, by the way, about my very ADHD brain is that if I don't have time to wonder, it was just really, this is where I come up. I have to be able to just kind of wander around. You just have to let me loose and wander around. And if not, then I, at a certain point, I start to feel like I'm suffocating and just am not alive. I, everything comes to me when I have time to like wander around. This is seven miles of wandering. It got me thinking about this seven-mile journey. What a common and frequent journey this must have been for the disciples. I go into the, in the book a little bit. We can only speculate about this. Were the disciples home in, uh, was their homes in Emmaus? Was this place they were visiting? I mean, I make much of the fact that they're leaving Jerusalem, institution, temple, uh, which is the center of the universe for them. I guess I'm just thinking about right now the way that disillusionment, not in like this giant capital D, that too, 
But the way these smaller disillusionments that happen almost all the time continue to set us on a journey like this over and over again. So that the road to Emmaus is not only a, and I, and I do kind of think of this story as one of those stories that sort of, for me, contains the secrets of the universe. It's not just a journey that you go on once a year. It's an Easter story, an Easter tide story. But a, the kind of journey that we're going on all the time, maybe even on a, on a weekly basis, especially if we think about disillusionment this way, disillusionment can take on the form of like, it can be tragic. And a lot of us are experience, have experienced a kind of tragic disillusionment. I believe in this church. I believe in this person. I believe in this idea of this institution. It all came crashing around. That's an awful experience. But I also think there's this gap that we experience nearly all the time. Because no matter what kind of meditation you get into, how zen you become, I don't know anybody who learns how to live without having any expectations about their lives. Anybody able to do that? Anybody learn the miracle of pure presence where you have no expectations about how your life is going to work? No expectations about how the day is going to go? No expectations about the next week? Of course, you, like every, we all have certain expectations about how things are going to go. We all have anticipation. And if you've ever made any kind of, and this here's a broad stroke, if you've ever made any significant decisions in your life about anything, how's that for a crowd participation question? How many of you have ever made a significant decision in your life about something? <laughs> now, but that could be deciding to be in a long-term relationship, marriage or not. That could be a decision to have children, to adopt children, to take a job, to not take a job. To come to a university like Paul or to leave here and to go somewhere else. Make all kinds of decisions all the time. And I'm just asking the question, for any of those decisions that you've ever made in your life, how many of them have ever worked out the way you thought they were going to? Like, I mean, have any of them? Now, that's not because that would be terrible and depressing. That's not a way of saying that everything turns out bad. Well, of course not. Many of the decisions I've made in my life have turned out to be much more wonderful than I could have anticipated. There's been grace and magic I never could have imagined. But I can say, and you know, speakers love statistics like this, I feel like I can say with 100% certainty about it, I can't think of anything in my life that has never worked out the way I thought it was going to. I can't think of anything. Even the most miraculous, best things still didn't work out the way that I thought. Maybe I arrived at said destination. That was a real long way around to get there. And once I got there, there wasn't what I thought there was going to be. You know what I mean? I mean, this stuff, this is what's happening all the time. Now, it, this might be like just a quirk of my brain. But I didn't care really going to bed at the end of the day and even at the, at the end of the night thought, take it aside. Today worked out exactly the way I thought. <laughs> like, I don't have many of those days. I know that you can do, and I'm, you know, I'm probably not the right person to go to for this. I know we can develop habits and rhythms and routines that can give some order and stability. That's great. That's awesome. Still, in my, in my little experience, one man's experience, 
very rarely has that equated to any days working out the way I imagined at the beginning of the day. I do want to give this disclaimer, and this was bad to say because I think authenticity is so important, vulnerability is so important. If you are a person that randomly gets to the end of the day and everything works out the way we thought, and your decisions normally, so yeah, yeah, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Please don't tell anyone else about this. Because no one's going to like you or want to be your friend. Like, generally, you will be an unlikable person by most humans because, by and large, people within our species will not relate to that experience of things working out exactly in the way that you thought they were going to go. But within that is this invitation. That's part of the beauty of this story for me, is this way that precisely where God meets us is in this gap that exists between our expectations and reality. It's precisely in that gap between the things that we anticipate and how life actually goes that there's the possibility of God happening to us. But it doesn't happen unless there is some disillusionment. If there is some shattered expectations, if there is some, oh, that, well, that's, that's really not going the way that I thought. Whenever I talk about the story, I can't help but think about the power. And I, think, I, I felt that this morning when we were singing, Felt that in terms of the openness in the room of, you know, you sort of feel it. People are broken, are broken, are, we're broken open by music. And you can feel the things that some of us are bringing into this space. And you can feel the way God works with that. The power of sharing disillusionment with somebody else. The power of sharing each other's burdens, the way that Joel talked about. Now, I don't give a lot of prescriptive advice in my life in general, I find that to be all the helpful when people give it to me. And uh, usually when people are, you know, come to me, they're very afraid. Like, well, what if I make the wrong decision? This is not, this is always comfortable. My sense is like, you know, if you make the wrong decision, probably then you'll just end up self-sabotaging. This will be happy. And things will kind of auto-correct. And you'll still get where you need to go. This is kind of how I think about things. Just not everybody finds that encouraging. <laughs> but I do. I tend to think like it, there's so many things that are just not in our control. We have an illusion of control. Yeah, you can change the thermostat and change the radio station. Yeah. There are a lot more things about our lives that we can't change and things that we can. But if there's anything that we can change, anything that I think is a concrete expectation, I don't need to hear from this text that even after all this time talking about it, sometimes I wonder, am I... Am I any better at this all? I do think there's such power in the fact that these two disciples are on this seven-mile road, and they're sharing their despair. That's all we call it the conversation, is they're sharing their deepest sorrow. They're sharing their deepest pain. And it's right in the midst of that pain. It's right in the midst of that loss and that grief and sharing that ambiguity that God comes to them in a form that they could not have expected. That's something... I always know I could do more of is be a little bit more open when I need help. In the first service, I feel like I didn't share this, and I didn't know if I regret that for now. This is already out the water, and I, I think a few people do about this anyway. But this this is the way I tell myself, and if if you can't preach about stories like this, I don't know. So I uh, guess since two weeks ago, I was in my. Uh, I'm in one of the university homes, houses on campus, which is great. I love, I love the place. And I have a big 
like oversized leather chair downstairs, not all that heavy, but kind of awkward to maneuver. And I thought, like, you know, it's a spot downstairs and never sit down. I need to get that to the upstairs bedroom. I think I'm actually sitting in it up here. And I visualized it, and I couldn't quite see a way that I would be able to make that work. But as it goes, when I can't see a way, when I can make anything work, it's like, you know, I'm just going to manhandle this. <laughs> and it will probably be fine. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding my mind. This is my approach. This is my this is my approach to most problem solving. I'm just gonna manhandle this and probably it will be fine. So I pick up the chair and I start going up the chair, up the stairs and like right about where the landing jets down, I somehow got myself in a position where not only was the chair completely wedged between the, the like iron rail of the stairs here and the wall, but to where I was wedged between the chair and the wall. <laughs> And this is hard to explain if you can't see it. It doesn't make sense to me even now. But there was no way to get leverage from there. So I was like, I was actually stuck. I actually pinned myself into the chair between the railing and the wall. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I stopped on upstairs, so I couldn't get to my phone. And true story, I think it took at least 45 minutes for me to get out, which not, I didn't exactly think my way out. The only thing I could do, get hard to explain, is that I reached my hands up behind me and I took the iron bars at the rail and like the Olympian that I am, if you know, I'm very, I'm obviously a very flexible person. I pulled myself like backwards, like up over the chair to get back inside. So you know, it was the whole thing. So I, I get, by the way, the, that wall uh, where you go up the little stairs there, my wife did like it, but she's an amazing decorator and has like a whole wall of pictures there. I shattered about the half of those pictures getting myself up. It looked like a crime scene. You would have thought something terrible happened in this place. Now I get upstairs and because I realized then that now there's no way to maneuver the chair back down. So that's when I called Joel. <laughs> With keep my shattered glass everywhere. Stella can't come up the stairs and she's upset by this. Stella's my clip on headings. And uh, hey, Kate, hey, Joel, hey, buddy. There so, are you giving free? And so Joel comes over, and I have to lean over the window of my bedroom and throw my keys out the upstairs window for Joel to catch them to be able to come up. We left for ten minutes. <laughs> ten minutes. We actually, we actually left. Joel, like, Joel, I think the green was been on the ground. We left for ten minutes. This whole thing, unbelievable. Now, a rational person would just call somebody at the front end and say, "Can you help me move the chair?" But this is not what I do. It's not as what I actually, I don't know the options enough where I call somebody else. And I really think this is so much of what this story is about. The disciples were sightseers. They share their despair. As they share their anguish, their brokenness, that God comes and walks with them in the way that's unannounced. And there's so many wonderful, beautiful details in the text that just don't feel right for the day. But of course, the climax of all this is that finally they're around a table with Jesus. And it's when Jesus breaks the bread, it's when they drink the wine, that there comes this moment of recognition. That now they recognize that Jesus is Jesus. For the first time they see him. For the first time, there's revelation, there's clarity. Oh, now we know that Jesus is alive. Now we know that Jesus is resurrected. Amazing. 
And Jesus here does precisely the kind of thing that Jesus is always doing. Some of you know him. You know how he is. The very moment that you see him, and it's like, oh, he's within distance. I can reach out and just hug Jesus. I can, I can, I can just hold Jesus right now. He vanishes and disappears completely gone. Right at that moment of recognition. And then you get that wonderful line, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was walking with us along the road? I guess part of what I'm thinking about this morning is once again, we've come to this space, and even if we didn't really want to be broken open, didn't really choose to be broken open, it just sort of happens. Is that your experience largely of our community here or community in general? I'm, like, I'm not going to be vulnerable today. I'm just going to come in, and I'm just going to kind of stick to myself, and I'm like, oh. and then inevitably, like, something cracks me up, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm more present than I want to be right now. Things are coming up. We have this opportunity, as we always do in a couple moments, we will come to the table. And I deeply believe in the miracle of the table. Um, there are a lot of times, in whatever way that I experience those things, because emotions do matter, it matter to me, it matter to God, there are a lot of times where I feel magic in what happens here. There are other times when I don't feel anything at all. But I do believe, whether or not I feel it, that every time this happens, there is a way that our, our eyes are open. There is a way that we come to see. We come to see ourselves differently. We see our neighbors differently. We see the world differently. Everything we see in a different light because of Jesus through this meal. And one of the things I love about these moments of clarity and I feel like I should know this right now because, I, again, it's kind of thing I feel like I told about enough. I always think whenever I have that moment of clarity, whenever I am able to see my problems at scale and see the world at scale or see something in how God sees and loves me and sees and loves my neighbors, inevitably every single time I think, ah, I've got it. Now I'm going to see, it's always going to be like this. Spoiler alert, it does not continue to always be like this. And, and that's, that's not going to be cynical, it's just it's true of any given experience. We had the opportunity earlier this week to do something, especially for a Christmas present for me and Nicole. Um, we got to go with our closest friends to New York City, and we got to see Bono wear my shirt because it's still like it. And as a YouTube fan who's been to 30 shows, it was everything I could have hoped that it could be. It was, you know, it's a small theater, and the Beacon Theater is like 2,800 seats, and bottom. It's like, oh, this is, it truly was one of the greatest nights of my life. I slept for two hours of that show. And it had, like, whenever I have any of those kinds of experiences, like, oh, this is everything I have, one of the great nights of my life. And Thursday was still Thursday, and Friday was still Friday. And ordinary days tell them what they always do. And it's like, oh, you know what? You know, the side of the Bono show. Comparison between Bono and Jesus here, not intentional. <laughs> but yeah, like there's a way that if you, don't, you never live in that forever. I, I'm saying all that to say this, and I'm, and I'm done all this. It's so, it's so comforting to me right now that the Emmaus Road journey is an invitation, a seven mile journey. And I don't feel like I'm stretching too far here. Maybe it's a seven-day journey. Maybe this is a thing that we reboot every single week. It actually is one 
I keep coming back. It's because on a deep level, my heart does burn for this appearance of God that we have in the table. To, to come to see again, to come awake in that place. And I know I'm not going to live in perfect clarity when I walk away from this moment. But hey, I've got time to get this solution again. I've got time to share it with somebody else. God will show up again. Back over again. And we just keep coming, we just keep coming, we just keep coming. And I think there's something so wonderfully liberating about not finding it strange when that happens. And not feeling there's something wrong with you. Well, what, what have I done wrong? That I didn't just feel God all the way. You haven't done anything wrong. Well, what, why is it that life continues to catch me by surprise? Because life catches everybody by surprise. This is how it works. What if the road to Emmaus, and I don't know if I love this word here, but it's the best of God, is almost a template for us, really, for what every week looks like. We break the bread, we take the wine, we enter into that clarity, our eyes are open, we walk away, inevitably we'll forget who we are a little bit. But we have the opportunity to remind each other. And soon we will gather and we will do it all over again until the time in which we all come to see and our eyes are always open in this way. That's the invitation for me of this story. So God, I ask in this moment, as we sit and we reflect on the last sentence, all of the tiny and large disillusionments and moments of despair, the moments that we feel alive, the moments that we feel more the moments that we feel like we weren't going to come down from, the moments that we thought we might not make it. And we just ask now that once again you would give us the gift of recognition to be able to see that you have walked with us. You are always walking with us. There is never a moment that we have been alone. And I pray specifically now as we get ready to come to the table, once again, we would be awakened to the mystery. And I pray specifically for some of my friends today, that not that it's all about feelings again, but that whatever way that people need to encounter you, they would experience that through this and else day, whatever healing, whatever grace, whatever sustenance, whatever strength, whatever power, whatever encouragement, whatever nourishment we need, may we find it in this table today. And would you give us the grace to come awake so that our hearts can burn again with your love and your beauty as it's been the following sunny post.